So tell us who you are, <laughs> a little bit about yourself. I'm married to the lovely Bruna. Um, three kids are just away, Zach, who's 10, Joel, who's eight, and Sarah, who's six. So, um, and my name's Stephen McIntyre. What do you do? So I work for, um, I'm a full-time in sales, work for a, a company that sells agricultural equipment. They're based in Korean. So I'm out on the road a lot, traveling, um, doing a lot of miles in the week. So it's, it's actually, it was probably, somebody said at one time, you've, you've been given the gift of time, which I never really thought of before, but it's, it's good whenever you want to take time to worship or pray or do some, some of them um, holy things when you've plenty of time to do it and no kids around you. <coughs> um, tell us a little bit about your journey as to how you came to Emmanuel Portadown. Um, I grew up in Craigavon, middle of Craigavon, went to Craigavon Presbyterian, grew up there, um, all my life was saved when I was around eight or so, um, so thankful for Sunday school, just the, the foundation that that was in my life, that's why I just, you know, really value the, the kids' work in, in any church, um, all those Bible stories really, really have felt have stood by me um, through my Christian life. When, when um, <coughs> we were getting married, then we felt that Emmanuel, because Bruno grew up in Emmanuel, we felt that that was to be our home church. So um, after we, we got married, we went to India, and our honeymoon was, was in Bible college for three months out in India, and then we came home, we are going to Emmanuel Church then, and that, that was never really anywhere we intended to leave. There was never, before we got married, it was either going to be Craigavon Presbyterian or Emmanuel. There was never really any other churches that we thought of. So, um, yes, Emmanuel Church wasn't really, Lurgan wasn't anywhere that we'd thought of leaving, very happy there, until then the, the sort of stirring came about of maybe the thought of planting it and then Emmanuel poured it down. Um, with that then, there was, you know, prophetic words given over us, there was um, a lot of prayer went into it, we started prayer walking around the town here in the March before the December the church was, was launched. So we really felt very, very strongly that we were to be part of the, I think there was maybe 30 or 40 of us that left Emmanuel Lurgan to, to plant Emmanuel Portadown and we felt very strongly that, that we were to go. So there was, um, yeah, there was a lot of tears, I suppose, <laughs> that morning, the last morning of, of Lurgan. So it, it, there's been a couple of church transitions there. One was leaving the traditional church of the Presbyterian to go to Emmanuel and then leaving Emmanuel Lurgan to come here. So, um, so yeah, it's been, been a bit of a journey, those couple of church moves. And they weren't easy. Um, I feel like it's important to say that. Um, and it took a lot of time and it took a lot of prayer and it took a lot of discernment to make those decisions. But I'm glad you... <laughs> Otherwise, she'd have something <laughs> in Lurgan <laughs> Elman here. That would have been good. Um, <laughs> and tell us a wee bit about what um, <clears throat> your daily relationship with Jesus looks like and how that then impacts your role here on the lead team in Portadown. I suppose for me, for, for Jesus and, uh, and, and God and just that relationship, I always just see God who's, who's someone who's always there, he's always beside me, he's always present, he's always readily available to talk to, there's just like a real closeness there, I just probably would describe God as my best friend, um, wake up in the middle of the night, he's there, so he's never absent, he's never not present, he's never fully available, um, so with that, I suppose you always feel that you're, you're never far from God or, oh, I need to get into God's presence or I need to, you know, make an effort to be in God's presence because I just feel that, that he's just, you know, you're, you're enveloped with him. Um, uh, putting that daily practice in the mornings in, which I hadn't done for a long time, but I just would, would take myself into the spare room in the mornings, um, 
read through a few verses or a chapter just till I feel that God is speaking to me and just jot down a few few notes about it. And sometimes, you know, I, I try to take that a bit of time after that to pray, which doesn't always happen because the kids come in and they need their breakfast or something. So you're you're trying to fit that discipline in in the you know the routine of, of having a young family and being a phlegmatic personality, discipline is one of the last things I I'd want to do. Just <laughs> just don't like having to put those things in place that are, I suppose, rigid. But um, so yeah, so I think I think I'm more drawn to the smaller the crowd, the more I feel alive and in, in God's presence. So like life groups, I love sitting um, with four, five, six, seven other different fellows, or even the one to one. You know, if somebody comes to me and says, "Look, Stephen." I'd love to have a wee chat with you about this, or I'm struggling with this, or whatever. And I'm buzzing just to get that conversation. Whereas if you know I want you to preach, you know, in, in a couple of weeks' time, you're, you can do it. But it just it drains me. It's supposed to energize me, so I feel more energized by that one to one and that call. And it was like Ali had had preached, you know, a while ago. The more intentional Jesus was with people, the smaller the crowd was, you know. So I just feel that more of that. I suppose because I've maybe feel that intimacy with, with God all the time, I love those smaller environments and I love those smaller groups and just that, that closer intimacy. And even with life groups, what I try to create is that safe space where you have six or seven people together. Somebody might not want to open up in that sort of environment, but you're trying to create a space where that people are building relationships where they can have those um, more important questions or they can open up about um, something that's going on in their life and just that that support network you know where jesus had the travel with the disciples and there's that smaller group that was sort of quite intimate i just think that's so vitally important in any church um instead of coming in and joining sunday morning and going again there's a connection there there's um you know just people to rely on when you come into church on sunday you look out for the people that's in your life group but as well as that even on friday nights we do a prayer walk around port down which started, as I was mentioned, in the March before the church started in December. We were walking around Portadown, a number of us, just to get a sense of what God was, was doing in the town. And when the church was planted, I sort of I couldn't really come up with a reason to stop praying around the town, even though the church was planted. So I thought, well, we'll just have to keep going with it. <laughs> so, so on behalf of the last five years, and there's been real friendships formed there, you know, so not even just praying, but when you're out, we, we gather here in the, in the car park, anybody wants to come along, it's very informal. And then we'll walk, we'll just dander off in twos and threes around the town. And those conversations that we've had, just real godly conversations, praying for each other and encouraging each other and praying around the businesses, praying around the streets. And just, it just feels a privilege to carry God's spirit around our town. Is that all right? Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you know, I feel like, um, I, know, so I, know, I know he's my husband and it's probably going to sound like I'm gushing, but actually I really want to honour what Stephen and the other guys do on a Friday night because... They are so disciplined. You know, I think, was it like Christmas Eve or something? <laughs> Out at six o'clock, you know, there's very few Friday nights they don't go. And I feel like they carry something really, really important with all of the moves that we have had. It feels like they have been going ahead and paving the way with the Holy Spirit in that. And so we want to honor you guys. People don't see you do that, but it is so important. And anybody can come along and do that. So we're going to pray for Stephen, but actually, Ian, would you come up now as well? We've got Ian speaking to us this morning, which is brilliant, but I just feel like I want to pray for you both together. Is that all right? God, I just, I thank you for Stephen and for Ian, and, uh, and I thank you for their influence. And 
while it's not always front and center, it's steady and it's reliable, God, and it is strong. And so we honor these pillars in the house, God, and we pray your blessing over them this morning. We pray for healing for Stephen, um, and we pray that it will be complete and whole. But oh God, we pray for your presence on Ian right now. We pray, Father, that, um, that your word would, first of all, um, minister to his heart. We thank you for what he carries, for his faithfulness in the journey, God, and for how you have proven your goodness in his life. And so would you come and anoint him now with your spirit, and may your word land in power, and may he get vigor and refreshment and, uh, and strength through this this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks very much, Brona and Stephen. And, uh, yeah, oh, dear me. One of the two pa the pastors here this morning, I think I'm a, 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 on an interview. <laughs> um, but for anybody who doesn't know me, my name's Ian Morton, and I'm from Tandragee. Um, but actually, I was just, I was born in Port Azain, um, over the Armagh Road Bridge there, the railway line, uh, Cavanagh Factory, there was a wee house there, and my uh, my dad worked for the railways, and so that that's where I was born. Um, only spent a year in Portadown, and then we moved out to the Madden Station, which was between Tandragee and Guildford. So I was uh, I grew up as a, a railway child, and that was fun, you know, playing on the railway line. You know. <laughs> but um, so we threw up the first slide, Annabelle. Does anybody? ever get a bath in one of these? <laughs> it's not something where you put flowers in it nowadays, but I, I can remember, this is it's my real, railway children days. Um, we had no bathroom, and we had uh, every Saturday night, there was five, two brothers and two sisters and me, five of us getting a bath, and I can tell you, the water wasn't changed in between <laughs> each one. <laughs> so the... the Number five, actually, you're probably cleaner going in than coming out, but anyway. <laughs> uh, uh, big blocks of green and, and red life boy carbolic soap. Well, that's, that was the good old days, you know. Uh, just another wee thing. Uh, next slide, please, Annabelle. It was a mango. Now, this, I remember mummy washing with a, a scrubbing board, wash, doing, doing the washing, and then she'd have put the the clothes through, through the mangle here to try and dry them out a wee bit. So, yeah, it was it was it was good times, happy times, you know. And um, but then the railway station closed down, and then we had to move into Tandragee. So Tandragee has really been my home all, most of my life. Um, and the next slide here would would show the the vision. Um, Emmanuel Church, Portadown, and, and, and Lurgan, you know, the twin towers of, of the tower. Uh, but I, I want to push that a wee bit further because it's also connected to the banks there, you see. And the banks, to me, that, that's Tandragee. That's Market Hill. That's Rich Hill. That's Ahore. That's Anak Moore. And I like to think that uh, that's, we're all connected and, and feeding in, into the, the bigger vision. And uh, I'm going to let you into a wee secret now. Um, 
I, I work for the, well, it's not really a secret. Um, you know the way uh, people come to you and say, uh, I want to tell you this, but don't be saying, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll tell you this, but don't, don't be saying. <laughs> I work for the telephone company, and uh, the, anybody, the landlines, you know, that them things of the broadband all comes through. The area code for Portadown is 02838. Uh, but that's also the area code for Tandrigee and all the surrounding area as well, so 02838, and then it goes 841 for Tandrigee. Uh, but it's also the area code for Lurgan because the main switching centre for this part of the world is Portadown. So you know when all them people in Emmanuel Lurgan, you think that they're, they're up there and we're down here sort of thing? <laughs> in communication circles... We're way, way, way above them, you know. <laughs> so when Alan, when Alan asked me to speak about uh, my favorite psalm, Psalm 139, it didn't take me that long to sort, sort that out. So um, maybe we, I would just like maybe if we could read it together, Psalm 139. I'll read it anyway. You have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. And you're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. And you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, and if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. Then we go on to verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me 
in the way everlasting. Don't know what, what, what's went wrong here, but however. Um, but David starts in verse 1. He starts, you have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. And as if David has typed his name into a, a Google or a Bing search engine, and these are the results. This is the download that, that he gets from God. And God, I th- the results blow David's mind, I think, a wee bit, because God reveals just how much he knows about him. You know, Stephen was saying about the, the presence of God, you know, in the middle, middle of, of the night. Um, and David learned so much about God. But this, this psalm speaks. I wonder if the next slide comes up. Oh, dear me, that's a disaster. But anyway, this, this psalm speaks of, of, of the God who, who searches, who knows, who perceives, who discerns, who encircles, is ever-present, guides, enlightens, sees, creates, weaves, keeps accounts, tests, and leads, and so on. And all these amazing attributes of, of God that David sees involved in his own life. And it's no wonder in verse 6 that he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty to attain. And in verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast are some of them. But I would just like to pick out a few of these attributes and talk a wee bit about them this morning. I'm going to start off about the God who sees and well, the God who sees and the God who knows. And if you want any YouTubers here, if you look, there's a lady called Nicole C. Mullen. She does a fantastic video of the God who sees, and she talks about uh, Hagar, Ruth, David, Mary Magdalene. So it's about 12, 13 minutes, but I'd, I'd encourage you to have a wee look at that. So the God who sees and knows, and I find it it's quite reassuring, but it's also quite daunting that God knows everything about me. You know, what I'm thinking Everywhere I go, what am I about? What I'm about to say, even before I speak it, you know, and what every day looks like, you know, how I treat people at home or in work, and He sees me at my best, He sees me at my worst, and everything in between, and yet He still loves me. And I love that the God who sees and knows David is still the same God that sees and knows every person gathered here this morning. You know, we never uh, talked about this before, but uh, it just shows you the way that this, I think the Spirit's moving this morning, that, that Stephen mentioned about uh, some of us guys going around the town praying on a Friday night. Because we realize that the God who sees and who knows, knows what's going on behind every door in this town. He knows the people that are struggling with everyday life. He knows those where the bills are mounting up. The anxiety, the heartbreak, the lives that are broken. And the kids that have gone off the rails, the businesses that are failing. And on and on we could go. But he's the God who sees what everyday looks like for the people of this town. And he's in the business of taking what's broken. And putting it back together again. 
And I love that. I just love that. Because he's done it in my life. And he's doing it for so many people. And I'll share a bit of my story later on. But as we look at the God who knows and the God who sees, I love the story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Now, th this lady had an encounter with... Well, that slide's working great. Brilliant. <laughs> this lady, she had an encounter with, with Jesus. And Jesus saw her and he knew her and he knew everything about her. And just listen in to some of the conversation in verse 16. You know, the story, you know, they talked about water and the water of life and things like that there. But in verse 16, Jesus told her, go and call your husband and come back. In verse 17, she says, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. And the fact that is you've had five husbands, and the man you now, you now have is not your husband. And what you have said is quite true. And you know, what I love about the, <laughs> this, the, this story is that Jesus saw her, and he knew her, and he loved her. Five. He knew she had five husbands, the man she was living with was the sixth man in her life was not her husband, but the seventh man in this story, and seven is a perfect number in the Bible, the seventh man in this story was the one who truly loved her. He saw her, he knew her, and he would die for her. But wouldn't she take a whole lot of boxes why most of us wouldn't even, even bother with her? But the story gets better. I'm getting excited about this story. Now, Alan gets excited and super excited. I don't know what super excited looks like because I think I would disintegrate if I got super, <laughs> super excited. <laughs> but in verse, goes on verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. You see the impact of one life in a community. It changed that community. Because of one person's encounter with Jesus. Because she shared her story. She shared her story. And let me ask you this morning, let me have a question. If you're a believer this morning, you have a story to tell. You know, and it's great to see people coming up here and, and sharing their story. But everyone has a story to tell. And Jesus could use your story to point someone else to himself. Just the way he used this lady. 
Because you th the thing about this story is the woman's story became their story. And, you know, your story may, may not have been, been so, so dramatic as, as this lady's, but your story is unique to you. And maybe that's something that we could work upon on life groups, about sharing our story. You know, maybe your story is, is about how you came to faith as a child. Or maybe yours was a gradual awakening, like Samuel's. Or maybe you can point to a, a certain time and a place. But whatever the story is, that's unique to you. And I believe God wants to use our stories to point people to Jesus. And don't be scared of what people think. My biggest problem with sharing my story is how are people going to react to me? And that's what, what puts us off. And sometimes we might, we might have had a bad reaction and that's it. Well, that's, that's it. I'm not doing that again. But, you know, you can think about this woman here. You think, what would her neighbors have said about her? Oh, there's your woman. You know her who likes wedding cake. You know, she's got herself another man. You know, people will say all sorts, sorts of things, but... Um, if you're sharing your story about how Jesus has changed your, your life, the way I look at it now is that if people reject me, it's not, well, if people reject my story, it's not me they're rejecting. It's Jesus they're rejecting. So just, just bless them and move on. I love the story about John Wesley. Somebody sent me this this week, and it was about not being put off and John Wesley, uh, those uh, from the Methodist background will, will be very familiar with him. But just, just a wee ac excerpt for, from his diary. Sunday, and, uh, this is the late 1700s. Sunday morning, May the 5th, preached at St. Anne's, was asked not to come back anymore. Maybe that would be my story after today. <laughs> in, the, in the evening, preached at St. John's, the deacon said, get out and stay out. Next Sunday, preached at St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. In the evening, preached at St. George's. Was kicked out again. The next Sunday, preached at St. Somebody, somebody Else's. So he's, he's obviously getting fed up with established church at this point. <laughs> and the deacons called a special meeting and said I couldn't return. Um, the next Sunday afternoon, preached in the meadow. Chased out of the meadow as bull was turned loose during the service. <laughs> and... The next Sunday morning, he preached at the edge of the town and he was kicked off the highway. But the next, in the afternoon service, he preached in a pasture and 10,000 people came to hear him. I love that story. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I would probably have thought that a prophetic word would be when the bull came into the field. But <laughs> give that up, you know. You know, but, you know, if, when we're rejected, always remember how Jesus was rejected. John was rejected. In Matthew 11, 18 and 19, it says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by our deeds. So... Don't be scared about sharing your story, folks. Because the God who sees and knows me and with all my ups and downs is the God who wants to use me.
and he wants to use you as well. So the God who sees and knows, and, and lastly, the God who creates. And verses 13 to 18. David says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. And, you know, when you read these verses at, at times, you know, in a time when there was no x-rays, there was no scans, there was no ultrasound, and you realize how intimate these details that are revealed here. And David realized that in, in the place of his mother's womb, the God who sees and knows was the God who created him. That darkness was as light to God. And David saw at the point of conception that God knew everything about him, even before a day had passed. And I love this verse, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came into being. That's one of my life verses. I love that. And David realized that God had created something so beautiful, so wonderful, with so much skill, with so much uniqueness. And he says, I was fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you know that this morning, folks? That you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I was going to say, turn to your neighbor and tell him that. No, but I'm not. I'm not. You know, but I, I look at all this revelation that, that God gave to David about how he was created and about how unique that he was. And in the whole abortion debate, you know, when I look at this here, my heart weeps for the unborn child. It really does. But I also rejoice that God sees and knows every little life. And I know some parents here that maybe have miscarriages, and you need to know that God knows whether it was one hour, one day, one week, no matter how long in the womb, that God sees his creation. And for every believer here, there's always hope of a heavenly reunion. No, I want to talk a wee bit now about, about, about my story and about why this is so personal to me. And I didn't become a Christian until I was 28. And, and I remember in my late teens, I, I went to Armour Road Tech. I was doing A-levels. And Tandragi Porter Down wasn't big enough for me, so I... I decided I joined the Merchant Navy as a as a navigating cadet. It's 
supposed to be a captain one day, but it didn't last that long. But, um, but I, I joined as a young fella, and the sea is probably searching for the meaning of life. And I went round, well, halfway round the world. You know, I, I sailed, you know, up the Mississippi to New Orleans, Baton Rouge, the Panama Canal, round New Zealand, Australia, the Great Barrier Reef, all them tropical islands, Guadalcanal Island where the battles in the Second World War were fought, and Fiji, Tonga, Samoa. And that sounds really good, doesn't it? That's that's impressive. But I can tell you, folks, it wasn't a, it wasn't a cruise. I was on. <laughs> And see, after a while, one palm tree looks like the next palm tree. <laughs> yeah. But that, that, uh, I'd done that there and I came home and that, that, that life wasn't for me. So anyway, I came home and I settled down and married June. And um, that was in 1978. But, but during that time, God was speaking to me and God was dealing with me. And in 1983, our first son, David, was born. And that, yes, was a, great, a period of great excitement and, and change in our lives. But David took ill at about five months old. He had a condition called hydrocephalus. And that was fluid was gathering inside his brain. And he spent his, um, quite a few months down in the, in the Royal in Belfast and he took a, a brain clot, and he became he became very ill, but he sort of stabilized. But at that time, someone gave me a book by Catherine Kuhlman. It was called "I Believe in Miracles," and Catherine Kuhlman was one of these these people who held meetings, and people were, were miraculously healed at it. And one of the stories in that book was about a child with the same condition as, as David had and who was miraculously healed. And I remember I'd, I'd read the story. and um, But one Sunday morning, uh, I just happened to be reading the in introduction to it. I was lying in bed. And it's a bit like Lynn told us about Colin's sister. It's hard to explain but at that, there's a moment on the 30th of October, 1983, I, I can point to a specific day and time, that there was a divine exchange took place. And I, I call my conversion a lazy man's conversion because I said I was lying in bed. Um, but I knew, I knew that I needed a savior. I knew I was a sinner, that I needed a savior. And at that moment in time, that divine exchange took place. And I knew that life for me would never be the same again. Well, the next week was quite tumultuous, tumultuous for us because David's health deteriorated and he died the following Saturday on November the 5th. And I'm not really sure how I felt. It was probably a mixture of a lot of emotions, but I knew that God was real. And even though I didn't understand everything, I trusted that one day that God would tell me why. And God blessed us with two lovely children, Elizabeth and her husband Mark, who's here with me, and son Philip, 
so that was the start of my start of my, my Christian life, and for 40 years, I've probably been, I'd say I've been on the road, and sometimes people would say I've been in the road, but <laughs> through, through that there, through all the, the ups, ups and downs in, in life, um, I, I just, I, I love the Lord now more than I ever did, and he's, he's so, so, so precious to me, so sort of fast forward to last year, and sadly, June died. Um, so that that yeah that 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 that's been a, a tough journey for me. Uh, but I would also like to probably take this opportunity now just to thank the, the the leaders of the church here for all their pastoral care to June and myself, and for the church family and Emmanuel. You have been amazing to me. You've been absolutely amazing, and I love you. Because your care and compassion, uh, you know, has, has helped me through. And I know, and particularly to Caroline and, and her life group, all the girls who, who helped June, because um, she enjoyed the fellowship there. You know, but the big question we sometimes ask about life is the why question. Why God? Why did David only live 234 days? Why did June live? 63 years, why am I still alive at 67? You know, but that's the sort of question that only God can answer. And the older I get, the more room that I leave for the mystery of God. I don't need to know the answers, because I can tell you one thing, folks, Ian Morton couldn't cope with all the answers. I don't need to know. You know, as people have said here, you know, God is God and I am not. But I love the verse in Deuteronomy 29, 29. It explains it well. It says this, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow all the words of the law. And I'm so grateful that God has revealed Jesus to me. And that one day, I'll go to be with him. And all will be revealed. You know, when David's son died, David had a son with with Bathsheba. And that's a whole other story. But in 2 Samuel 12, 22, 23, he answered. It says, he answered, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he's dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. I love that. David knew that he would go to him. And that's the assurance that I have this morning, that I will go to be with the Lord, and he will reveal why these things happened in my life. You know, so this morning, as, as we bring this to a close, and maybe if, if the group want to, want to come up, you know, we, we've looked at the God who sees, and we've looked at the God who knows and created us. And, you know, when this world is in such turmoil, God is still on the throne. God is still on the throne. 
And he sees and he knows you, and he knows everything about us. And God knew David, and David knew God. And I think maybe as we close, the, the question that David started this psalm, you have searched me, O God. And he ends this, this psalm. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. You know, would you be willing to open your heart this morning to allow God to search your heart?